The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today in the studio, I have with me Gratitude Mashlangu. Gratitude, it's lovely to have you here, even though we had some technical difficulties, we could iron out the bugs and we get to see each other and you have a beautiful smile and such a great energy to have this conversation about financial planning in South Africa, how it's evolving and how we get to play that role of changing people's lives. Give us a little bit of a background, how you got into financial planning. Hi, Louis. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited. Um, when I met you at the Portfolio Metrics Symposium, I was just like, please, I need to come to your podcast. And now that it's happening, I'm so excited. So how I got into financial planning is that, so I was good in accounting at school uh, in matric. So I was going to become a chartered accountant, you know, as everybody does. And when I got to varsity and I was choosing my subjects, I, uh, in finance, finance caught my eye and my eye. I'm like, Oh, so uh, I saw that you could be an investment banker. There was financial management. So I liked the variety of everything, right? So I ended up applying for become finance instead of become accounting. And then in my third year doing become finance, we did a module called financial planning. So not knowing what this module was, what it entailed, but um, we had a financial planner come in and give us an address as the third year students. And they started talking about things like uh, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning. I was like, this is such a need in my community because I, I remember my grandfather, when he retired, he just withdrew his entire provident fund, which he accumulated over 40 years of working. He did a 100% cash withdrawal and he paid that 36% tax. He built, He went on to build this huge house and now he doesn't have any money. He's depending on the uh, government grant. So for a person who went from earning about 30,000 rand a month to depending on almost like what, 2,000, 1,800 rand a month, it's, it was so disheartening just seeing the lifestyle change and the impact on the family. 
So I was like, this is such a valuable thing for me to learn. And um, I could use this to go back home and and empower people and enrich people with with the knowledge of financial literacy and financial planning. So that's how I caught my eye. That's how I got in. And just the more I studied it, the more I loved it. You know, over the varsity holidays, I'll go back home and tell my mom what I've learned. And I'm like, do you have an emergency fund? <laughs> you know, um, so every time every time my mom sees me coming back home now, she always, always just starts talking about, no, if she went shopping, she's like, I earned this. <laughs> it's part of my budget because she knows I'll just dish out unsolicited financial advice to her. But it's just a passion of mine. And I just understood the value of, of me studying to become a financial planner. And I've never looked back since. How difficult is it to have conversations about money with your family? You know, you're a student, you're going back home, you're saying, let's talk about money. Can you tell me a little bit about how that was? Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. At first, also because, you know, um, in the black community, it's very rude for a child to dare speak or try and reprimand or advise grown-ups, you know, let alone talk uh, to their parents about money because um, in our in our culture, children are taught to sit back and let the elders handle, handle the finances, handle uh, running the household and things like that. And just also finances are always a taboo topic. Like people don't want to talk about how much they earn, how they spend their money. When they don't have the money, it's difficult to say that they don't, you know, because it seems like a status to have money. And um, I think people also associate money problems or um, money discussions with being vulnerable, you know, or bearing yourself. So definitely there was a lot of resistance, a lot of awkward moments, a lot of, you know, um, uh, my mom was also scared because she always said to me, never, ever take out debts. All debt is bad. I don't ever want to have debt. Um, so even having to teach her that there could be uh, something as like good debt that you could use to build your credit so that you can maybe finance things that could help you uh, generate a stronger financial position in the future. Just those kind of very technical conversations, you know, which I had, it, it was very hard. But I always, uh, I plow on. I plow on because I am very passionate about financial planning. And I can hear that passion shine through. And so that, that third year, second year student listening to a financial planner, can you remember where that financial planner was from? Was it was someone that worked for? Yes, I think that lady was from BDO Wealth Advisors. Yeah, yeah. Remember we were sitting at the D-Labs. You know, the lighting wasn't quite great, but, you know, as I said and I listened to her, I was like, wow, the people do this for a living and they get paid for it. You know, it sounded so exciting because you it sounded like somebody who helps people achieve their goals. You know, there was a lot of uh, centered around the client, centered around giving holistic financial advice, marrying the different components of what makes a, finan a person's financial plan together. It was very exciting. That's this hidden gem of a career and of an occupation. Right. As soon as you know about it, it's like, wow, this is something I can do. Right? I was like, how did I not know about this? Because I was fixated on investment banking, accounting. I'm like, how did I not know about this? But now that I do, I talk about it all the time. And it's weird because my friends also still don't know what I do for a living, you know? 
And so gratitude, what happened next? You you decided to pursue the studies around finance. What what happened after that? Okay, so now I have graduated. I have my degree in finance. And my mom is like, okay, sorry. So I come from a home that didn't have a steady income. So my mom is like, okay, this is as far as I can take you. All right, so now I need to find a job because I need to pay for my honors because now the job market is so competitive because almost everybody has a degree. You know, a lot of people now has like have degrees. Everybody, most people entering the workforce have degrees. So I was told you need to get your honors. You know? So now I need to pay for my honors. So there I am. I go to the libraries uh, at UJ. I'm typing in financial planning jobs, entry level jobs, and I'm seeing such a sea of just, um, you know, my Google search just sort of like lit up. I'm like, oh, okay, there's a lot of jobs here. So I'm getting in. And as I get into the descriptions, I look at the spec. You need to have a laptop, you need to have your own. A car, you need to be able to sell, you need, I'm like, what is happening here? So now all that, all that hope and all that excitement is starting to die down because I'm just like, but then how am I supposed to have a car? I come from the dusty streets of a very small township in Bumalanga. This degree is my only hope, you know, I'm trying to make it. And now I'm searching for jobs and every second link I click on same requirements, must be able to sell, must have a laptop, must have a car, must, I'm just like, okay, what is happening here? You know, so more of that. And I ended up all not getting a, a job related to financial planning, ended up going to work at Edcon. Got to Edcon, I worked as a, a I did some learnership and then that helped me pay for my honors. Um, and then luckily, as soon as I started now at honors level, I heard of BDO's Wealth Advisor program. Uh, they had an assistant contract, assistant financial planner contract, where you work for two years as you do your articles. And then you can now get into, um, if you are keen, you can become an associate financial planner. And that's how I got into the industry. So I started working at BDO in the Cape Town offices. But then I didn't like Cape Town. <laughs> So gratitude, you left financial planning after your studies and fortunately found your way back. You might know Ricardo, he was one of our, our first guests talking about BDO and the wonderful work they, they do. And I'm so thankful that you found your way back. But looking at those ads, thinking about the sales aspect, what, what went through your head that you said, well, actually, I'm rather going to take another route? Um, just firstly for me was, um, so this is not what I was taught financial planning is about. Um, I was taught that financial planning is very client-centric. We help clients fulfill their aspirations and their goals. We plan for them. Uh, we, 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 may, we come up with financial plans or solutions that are tailored to their needs, you know. So I've spent uh, about, about two years doing all these comprehensive estate planning calculations, doing this investment planning process where you ask the questions, where you get to know the client first before you solution the clients. And now for me, I'm like, but why, why is like this word of you have to sell products, there's targets. And so that, that for me was disheartening because it started scaring me off because I'm like, okay, should I maybe change careers? Because now I was thinking I'm going to have to sit somewhere and cold call people. And I'm like, but I want to be a professional. I don't want to sit and cold call people because that, like, I, that's not what I studied. 
And also, I couldn't afford, you know, to be commission-based, you know, because I have a, a family that's um, a sort of dependent on me and I need to pay for my studies. And so also the the, the commission structure was not going to work for me. And this having a car, I couldn't even drive. I had never driven a car, you know. So for me, it was like, okay, this career is not rejecting me. That's how it felt because I just, so many things were so foreign to what I had dreamed up or what I had thought financial planning would be. Wow, that sounds like it could be, it could really kind of ruin your expectations of what mm. you're entering. Mm. So if you had the opportunity to build an FSP and, and hire young graduates, what would that look like? What, what would you offer them um, to number one, try and attract talent, but also maybe change this way we're bringing younger people into the business? I think um, just also from starting from my personal experience, right, um, having went through programs with BDO and uh, Chartered Wealth, where I went through the extensive articled planner program, where it also even the word articled tells you that the industry or Chartered Wealth and companies, like-minded companies are on a on a transformation journey where we are trying to professionalize financial planning, you know, like attorneys and accountants. You go in as a student, you do your articles. It's an environment where you can learn. It's an environment where, um, you know, you don't have to have the pressures of being commission-based, you know, so it, it harnesses new and young talent because, you know, it alleviates all these things that I had mentioned that were worrying me. So having went through that, you know, I preach this to any young financial planner that I come across or anybody that's studying third-year honors financial planning, I'm like, please look out for companies of, of, of this magnitude because that's how I got in and that's how I'm where I am in the industry, you know, being excited about the future, doing this, that, and the other. So if I were to start my own financial planning practice, right, it would be first one that provides holistic financial planning. It would be one that charges for advice and not for transactions and products because I think that's when you start, you, you can start um, destructuring or deconstructing this whole commission transaction. You need to be able to sell. You need to build your own book. You need to have a car so that you can drive to places and stuff like that. So I think my my practice, would so we, we would charge for advice. And I know that um, a lot of this is still new to the industry. So um, there's still a lot of probes around how do you get it right? You know, if you're a, a, a previous generation advisor and you already have had these set structures and this, how do you share your commission with younger people and hiring them and pay them a fixed salary? You know, so I think if we charge for advice, then we um, also invest in in, in, in in financial literacy and and uh, the reason why I think that's important is because um, a financial literate uh, community is one that will value our advice and understand what we bring to the table and why we are necessary. So yeah, I think it would be a practice like that so that I can make way for young advisors to come in and we can pay them a fixed salary. They can do holistic financial planning like they learned. Um, and it would be one that's centered around relationships because we are in the business of people. You know, the client is at the center of what we do. And for me, that's what has kept me in financial planning. You know, I, I love listening to clients, listening to their stories. And I think uh, as a young financial advisor, you you benefit from that. So, yeah, it would be 
a practice sort of an idealistic practice. I don't know that's in practice how easy that is. And I, I understand that it's uh, very difficult from a business point of view to still, you know, maybe a compromise or some of the revenue that you get through your, you know, fees, your initial fees and your commission and stuff like that. So I don't know how I would execute, but that would be the vision. You mentioned something very powerful, that financially literate community. Do you find the clients you're serving now, are they financially literate? And are those the clients that you wish to have been serving? Um, I think the the disposition is quite, there's a, a different various kinds and even the degree of financial literacy is, is uh, also another thing because you find some clients are very financially astute or analytical in nature. So they ask very probing questions. You find that some clients are maybe come from intergenerational wealth. So they know a bit more. They were involved in their family finances but I would say that the majority of, of our clients and just people in general, like they they don't they can't see advice, right? Um, they can't touch it; it's intangible, so it's very difficult to put value on on something that you can't touch or something that you you have to understand that you need it, right? And um, there was an instance also we had um, a client of ours um, who was a first generation millionaire in his family and he had worked um tirelessly he said to me um he started working i don't know if it's in the 60s or the 50s and he was saving 50 rand every month when he was still working and he said there was a lot of money at the time and he said that's how he just started he started investing investing in these unit trusts investing investing and eventually he was retired now and he was going to give his grandchildren a million rand each for their for their birthdays right but for him he he had never received that kind of treatment he didn't come from money right so for me i was starting to see oh but then there comes my financial literacy thing so one of the the grandchildren wanted to take this money and go buy i don't know if it was a boat or a beach house and the other one boy wanted to reinvest the money with us you know and then these people come from the same family they have the same grandfather, yet their financial values and and their financial uh, astuteness or, or alerts alertness is is very different, you know. So that's why I say if 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 the, the other boy valued advice and he valued you know what what this one million could be in the future, so he understood because he had spent some time coming with his his father and his grandfather to these advice meetings, you know, and the other boy was just doing his own thing. So. That's why I think that um, uh, clients that are financially literate will value advice. But then I love being also part of the journey of teaching clients, you know, whether it's a young client, whether it's even an older client. Because as soon as I, you know, as soon as I explain something to clients, I can see that they they light up. And as soon as they understand it a bit more, they appreciate me a bit more, you know, because they're like, oh, this is so invaluable. Yeah, so... I think that's where financial literacy helps us. 
what would a conversation with that that grandchild that's wanting to buy the boat or the boathouse like what would the conversation if you were in a room with that grandchild what would that look like can you can you expand a little bit on that so he was very excited obviously and i think also because he hadn't been he hadn't been in these advice uh meetings with his grandfather for him a million is a lot of money you know that's what the conversation was and you know we were trying to explain listen you know um you like if you buy a boat worth 720,000 you've already eroded about three quarters of this money you know and we were we were trying and just for him it was just about the excitement and he had dreamed of owning a boat and we tried this delayed gratification. We're like, we, you can buy it maybe in the next five, 10 years, you know, just trying to get him to, to, to help, to get us to help him with a financial plan. And, but just he was so excited and, and try as we may have, he just ended up going <laughs> with the boats. I don't know if we were not good salespeople at the time, but the conversation was just that he was, he just did, thought he had so much money. You know, he thought he this million will never run out. He can buy his boats. He'll still have change left, you know, and then he'll start thinking about perhaps investing the money, you know. And we even tried that compound interest calculation where you show that if you invest early enough, you know, this is how much you would have because then you'll in your forties you'll start wanting to save fifty thousand rand a month you know, trying to play catch up. But that boy was just so fixated on on that um on that boat. Gratitude as a as a young financial planner in these conversations, how do we keep that balance between, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing with your money and this is how you actually enjoy your life and 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 find the benefit that money brings. How have you found that as a young financial planner to keep that balance? Sure. Okay. Now I'm. You know what? I'm also for a financial planner. <laughs> I also, you know, spend money on good times of it. Sometimes I have to rein my own self in. But when I when I talk to younger clients, I, I always say that there is a even with with my friends, I always say there is a happy medium with everything that you do. You know, there is we all want I want to drive a Porsche Cayenne, you know, just yesterday already. But then I understand <laughs> I understand that um in order for me to to get to that point, you know, because if I do it now, it's gonna be a premature decision. I always have to find the happy middle. So I also don't deny myself, you know, pleasures. I, I, I have a budget allocated specifically for going out, for going to dinners, music concerts, you know, drinking nice wine. I have that. But then at the other end of the spectrum, I also have debit orders going towards my investments, my tax-free savings. So I always try to even position, you know, my advice like that because, you you can't um, forego living life to save money because then that money is going to be meaningless, you know. So, um, yeah, I always try to strike a happy middle to say you can still go out. You can still buy yourself a nice pair of, like, of shoes if you, you don't have to wear the same boot until it has holes on it because you're trying to, to stick to your financial plan. That's why our financial plans need to 
to um, incorporate the client's leisure and their livelihood and what we call uh, in the industry return on life, you know, because it's nice to have return on investments. But what, what good is the money if you're not happy, if you're not healthy, if you don't spend time with your family? So I think we, even with work, you know, um, I'm known to work very long hours. But my boss will often come to me and say, it's time to go home now. I don't want you to start hating your work because you, we, you've, t- it has taken up so much away from you. So, um, you always have to just pl- plan with that in mind, you know, always constantly reminding yourself when you go overboard with one thing, try to try to rein yourself in and remind yourself that, you know, and then you call, you don't have to spend a hundred thousand on stuff. You know, there's always a balance, I think. It's wonderful how you've get that balance and say, well, it's a, it's about the whole person well-being. How was the COVID experience for you? And have you found any additional stressors come through in recent client conversation around, you know, the, the kind of post-COVID impact and even with the market declines? Like, how have you held that as a as an individual and as an advisor in terms of your well-being? I must say, um, especially with, with us, because we work with retired clients, you know, um, we, a lot of older clients as well. I must say that COVID was quite a, we lost a few clients to it. You know, we um, also the, the technology, because we had to review clients now online, especially during hard lockdown, we had no other avenue but that. So there were a lot of technical challenges, a lot of phone calls, a lot of, you see that camera, you see that icon of a camera down there. <laughs> so, but also in, in that same breath, the, the technology has allowed us to, um, uh, I don't know, with this immigration, you know, with everybody moving down to Cape Town, we've been able to sort of keep some of the clients, you know, and review them virtually, even when they're in Cape Town and we're in Joburg. And also, okay, then on the on the soft side of things, on the mental part of it, I must say, I, at first I, I struggled to connect, you know, and especially because as an associate planner, I was still now getting introduced to the clients, you know, some clients, it was my first time meeting them. And I just felt like the connection wasn't as great as when we used to see each other face to face. But then that also gave me the scope to join in more uh, client meetings because, you know, when uh, when there's a bit of a distance between you and, and a person, the nerves also don't get too loud. So, you know, I, I could muster up the courage to sort of get in a few um, words in, there in the meetings. And I think it, it helped me grow in that sense. You know, it provided a space. And I think also because it was a human experience, not just the clients experiencing it, we were experiencing it, our families were experiencing it. So the conversations with the clients were on more of a human level, you know. Um, we could, I, I could then start, um, it, it broke down a bit of the barrier for me because you're young, you're black, the client is older, they're white. But COVID just literally made us human, you know. So the connection became better for me. And and funny enough, you know, clients have lived through a lot of, of financial market crashes with the 2008 and the this and the that. And they just understood. It was, I don't know, it was, I was, I was shocked. I'm like, oh, but you're, when I'm, when I'm doing the meeting prep, I'm like, ah, oh, this person's investments is down by like almost a million. They're going to, they're going to freak out. But they never did. I think they just understood that we are all trying to do the best 
um, with what we have. And even now with, with whatever's happening in Ukraine and Russia, yes, the, the client conversations with inflation and this and that. But, um, I think clients have come out more resilient. I certainly also have come out more resilient as a financial advisor, as a young advisor. You know, I've, I've sort of understood my value and, and being able to just show the client, even that graph to say, you've been invested since the 2008 subprime lending crisis. You rode that wave nicely. You know, COVID is also something similar. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but there has been market ups and there's been market downs. And lucky for us, we use asset managers. So we always tell them we have the best people handling this and looking at it. You know, it might not be soon. It might not be the way that we're expecting it. But the recovery after a, a, a massive market crash is always there. So I think, yeah, it just brought on a lot of a lot more resilience from my side. And, and I've seen the clients also, even in this time now, this um, round of reviews, clients are very resilient and the connections are more on a human scale. You touched on something that's so true. I mean, our own expectations of how clients are going to react to their quarterly statement where they've lost a million rand or are kind of blowing it up in our minds. As a younger financial planner that starts out, how do we find that balance between our own personal stories, you know, where we've come from versus like what we're being told, you know, we, we need to listen to the client. And it's not about us. It's about the client. Have you had any, any positive responses to actually sharing some personal stories in meetings or have you more leaned towards, Hey, let's keep this very, very professional. Um, I think firstly, for me, what, what really worked wonders was the, the, the coaching work that we do at Chartage, the, the work on, on myself as a person and my own, you know, clutter upstairs and how to recognize that or a, as, as a, as a feeling and to understand what it is. You know, um, when I was young, okay, I'm still young. <laughs> when I was coming into the industry, I was, Oh, scared. I was always scared about what the clients will think of me, what the clients, I was always like, what the clients is going to say, what does this young black girl know about my lifetime savings and my retirement planning, you know? But I had to realize that it was clutter that I built up in my head. It's, it's, it's my own um, preconceived ideas about myself. So once I learned how to things like self leadership, how to be a leader in your own life, in your own personal space, how to uh, be in control of your own thoughts. And I know it's always soft stuff and people are like, ah, don't tell me about vulnerabilities. Why are we talking about feelings? But for me, that was a game changer. Honestly, um, just as soon as I learned to recognize my, my, uh, my own emotions and my own biases and my own this and that, I, it, it made it a bit easier for me to walk into a client meeting completely neutral, you know, and, and, and I always, uh, um, if I get the opportunity to go into a client meeting, uh, by myself, I always say to the client, Oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous to, to, to just be addressing you. 
you know, and I'll say, I'll say it, my credentials and this, this and the other, but I, I would just say like from a, I'm still young, I'm still learning, you know, and clients have been so receptive, well receptive of that and so encouraging about it. And I thought as a trick of mine, I like to ask them about their grandchildren and, and this and that. And then they start seeing me. I'm like, how old is your grandchildren? Your grandchild is like, oh, my grandchild is 25. I'm like, oh, I'm 27. They're like, oh, you know, and you start, they just start looking at you as as a fellow human being they start thinking looking at you from the perspective of 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 a grandchild you know and i always say that i always also say if i had if my grandparents had like money to invest i would be comfortable for them to invest with us at chartered just to also give them that you know it's just you know when you relate with a person and talk talk to them in a personal way i found that those are the most ex- client experiences i've enjoyed the most and certainly the next time I meet them, it's it's easier, you know, to even talk about the difficulties. And, you know, even sometimes when clients are starting to run out of money and stuff like that. But if they know that you're human and you understand what they're going through and you can empathize and you can meet them where they are. And this is all soft skills. You know, the technical stuff is easy. We learn that at school. You know, we learn what a living annuity is, what what the legislation surrounding it is, but the soft stuff. I, like if I when I talk to young advisors, also because I'm very passionate about um, talking about young to young advisors about getting into the industry, I always tell them the soft stuff, the coaching, sorry, the the stuff with personalities and emotions. That's the stuff that. Um, sort of makes makes this journey easier and builds long lifelong relationships with clients. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I used to think we need to do this for the client. You know, we need to do this to mm-hmm. deliver better advice. But the more and more I'm going down this coaching route and the transitions, I realize that actually, you know, most of it's for ourselves <laughs> to to make our job easier. Yes. And then the clients also you benefit. You can't pour from an empty cup, you know. You need to sell. You need to start, you know, you need to enrich yourself, you know, fill yourself. And then you'll be the best planner to the client because you're working on, you're constantly working on yourself to work on their plans or their stuff. So now gratitude, if you if you think back to those ads where they spoke about, Hey, there's a sales element. You can go out, you can meet people, you can influence them, you can make a difference in their lives. Does that resonate with you more so in the phase of your life that you are now and in your career? Or would you still look back and say, hey, that's that's not for me? Uh, still not for me, but I wouldn't say sales is not a bad word. You know, sales, we're constantly trying to sell ourselves. Um, whether you're on a first date you know, whether it's your Tinder profile, you're trying to sell, not really, you know, in a bad way, but you're trying to get somebody to like you. You know, whether you're in a job interview, you're trying to sell yourself to get them to believe you're the best. And um, still, especially, like I said, with with um, influencing people and getting clients to stay invested, even if markets are tough, that's that's all like it's still a sale but we can't call it that but it's still something of influence it's still something to get people to do what is right for them but they don't think it is you know it's still something that you 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 use your influence to try and and make them um 
understand stuff and and um go with what is 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 necessary for the for the financial planning so i wouldn't say um you know sales is a bad word but i wouldn't want to be specifically like a broker that pushes products um I, i'm more I, i'm more like the the relationship based financial planning thank you i know that was a, a <laughs> trick question and you handled it beautifully <laughs> So we're saying from the one side, you know, we need to nudge our clients and, and kind of give them advice that's the best for them. But on the other hand, what what are people buying? Like, what are they coming in and, you know, how are they selecting financial planners? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But if I was to select a financial planner, definitely I would want somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, I would want somebody that um, engages me. You know, I wouldn't want somebody that phones me once a year for the review and then they forget about me. Certainly, and I've seen when we do the the birthday wish, when you do the gift, the housewarming gift for a client who recently moved into a retirement unit or a young couple who recently bought a house, that is uh, the the email you get. You know, even uh, um, I recent I received one recently where clients was just like. Thank you for listening to me, you know, and asking me about my children and and taking you the time because they feel so grateful, you know. To and and for me, that's that's the the people. Like I always say, the people make this worth it for me. It's it's. Um, so if I was looking for a financial planner, and I think if clients more and more are getting to that point where they are looking for the human elements in, in financial planning, they are looking for somebody that sees them, hears them, uh, remembers their birthday, phones them from time to time, especially even with COVID, you know, um, our planners would phone clients just to have a conversation. Because if clients are stuck in a retirement village, they can't go out in, internally they would say that the loneliness is driving them crazy. And, you know, they would have you on that phone for a good five minutes, you know, just talking away. And I think that's just that it makes the difference, you know, and it becomes easier also for the, to the relationship. It becomes easier to plan with them, it becomes easier for them to trust you, um, uh, for them to trust what you have to say. And yeah, I think spending time on those relationships. And I know it sounds corny when other people are listening to us talk like this, but that's where the differentiator is. And, and um, with all this fourth industrial revolution, everything is, is, is virtual. Um, people are looking for for um, the human again. I think you know you don't you don't have to have decades of experience to do this because when I started, they all said, oh, "Hey, you need a bit more experience. You need a bit more experience." <laughs> How long do I wait for that experience? Exactly. What role does language play in these conversations? Yo, um, language plays a very big role in financial planning. Um, like we look, like I think um, the build-up even in this conversation, where you say that a person's money is very personal to them. I mean, uh, finances are what the second highest uh, cause for divorce. <laughs> you know, and they always say um, never borrow your friend's money. <laughs> so money is a very personal thing, you know, and and we need people to understand their financial plans. And in order for you to understand something, it it's so much more better if it's in a language, your home language. 
Um, and I remember in one instance, like I, I was um, with a client and we were just talking about the financial planning to black clients. And um, I was just explaining their financial plan in, in Zulu. Right, because I was just like, oh, it's just like it's a black person. I'm black. Let me see, you know, because I could see that they were struggling when I was uh, talking English. And when I started talking to them in Zulu, this this man was like, oh my god, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea that this is my financial plan and what the role of this is and what this and this is what this means. And he was like, you've really opened my eyes to this because even though I can com- com- uh, communicate in English but it's not my first language so um even the 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 f- uh, layman term financial plan or financial concepts didn't really resonate because if it's a, a client who's in their 50s it's a black client they did bantu education in school they even I struggle to understand some of the concepts, you know. But when you get somebody who can speak in your mother language, whether it's Afrikaans, whether it's Zulu, whether it's Sesotho, and they can explain your money to you in 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 your language, it from it changed the client's life, you know. So language is very important, and I think another barrier to to financial literacy and why our numbers in this country are so. Um, so just poor is because firstly there's a lot of illiterate people never mind financial literacy you know there's a lot of people who do not have comprehension skills communication skills so then that then begins how how do you how does a person like that understand that they need financial plan or what their pension benefits are or what the negative impacts are, you know, so language is such a huge thing, especially in a country with 11 official languages, you know? So I think um, the, the time also is now to start looking at how do we provide financial plans that are su- uh, um, in languages that people can understand, you know, how do we deliver financial plans that people can be comfortable with and say, this is what what's happening with my money. This is where it is. And I'm completely comfortable because I understand it better. You know, Gratitude for that client that you explained his financial plan in Zulu and the financial terminology. How did that impact his decision making? <laughs> Tremendously. Tremendously that he was willing to immediately invest more money. You know, because he even said to me, you know, I have... Um, I have more money that I wanted to invest. And now that I know this and now that you've explained this to me, I was just going to keep this in the bank. But now I'm looking to invest more because I understand. And I understand that I, because I, he thought he had to ask permission from, from, from us to get his money, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, you have a uh, flexible, you have liquid investments. It's your money. If you need money, you have an emergency or you want to go away or you want to do it. You can, ask. but he just thought he was giving us our money for us to invest for him, for his future goals that he didn't really even understand. And he couldn't access the money, you know? So he said he was just going to keep some of his money for himself in the bank. But now that he understood, he was more than happy to give additional money. So this is good for the client, but it's also good from a business perspective. Because if your clients understand yeah. what they are, and it'll probably mean that you have fewer <laughs> on-bid claims and it means that you, you generate more business, which for any yes. financial services provider is a good thing. Definitely. 
So where do we change this? Is it through the people that we hire? Is it through the client base? Is it through education? Like what is your, what is your best stab at this? I think if you look at our industry, right? Um, if you look at um, I've, when I go to financial planning um, events, there's always one of like five people of color, you know? And if you look at the disposition of, of the community or the, the clients um, at large, far more diversified, you know? So I think, yes, you, we need to start firstly by being ambassadors for our industry, as the people who are inside, because I also didn't know about financial planning. You know, speaking about it, uh, being loud about what we do as a profession. And then that's going to attract a lot of diversified uh, talent, Indian, black, colored, white, younger. You know, it's got, because people don't know about this, people just stumble. A lot of people, unless like somebody's father had a practice, a lot of my colleagues, it's, we just fell onto financial planning by pure luck. So it, I think it starts there. It starts with us who are in the industry advocating for it and then um, having a diverse pool of, of financial advisors. And then obviously then you have a, a, a Sotu uh, advisor that can speak to Sotu. They can speak to a Sotu speaking client and, and so forth and so on. And I think, yeah, definitely we need to look at diversifying uh, our practices. We need to look at diversifying the industry and uh, promoting just awareness around the industry where we can, you know, being loud and proud. So that saying of let's meet the client where they're at, it's not just their mental space. It's also their language. Yeah. It's their their life yeah. phase. It's what's important to them. Like you were talking about your clients, about their grandchildren. As soon as you can pinpoint what's important to that client, I find the conversations just change like that. Yeah, and I think language has been overlooked, eh? Language is one that has been like a bit overlooked and for, and I think in the transformation of the industry in terms of moving away more from the life assurance broker, um, you know, focusing now on, okay, we need to do uh, holistic financial planning. We need to um, do look at where the client is at mentally, this, that, and the other. And we've sort of forgotten about language. And I think, I think um, it's high time we shine some light on it because it, it makes a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives. Absolutely. Gratitude, what's the next chapter for you? You know, what, is the, what does the future hold that um, you may be able to share with us? The future for me holds exciting things. I'm moving in from independent financial advice. My heart breaks, but I'm more into a banking role and just purely for the diverse uh, diverse client base because you know when you're everybody banks right a lot of people bank so um, I think it's a, it's an opportunity to educate it's an opportunity to um, be an ambassador for financial planning uh, and especially for and if, if somebody has a bank account they already transacting in the financial services so I think it's 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 an exciting opportunity to um, uh, do what I love, and that is uh, working with people every day, teaching people about financial literacy, helping clients live fulfilled lives, and I'm very excited. Um, and I don't know, I think that as a young financial advisor, I come with so much energy. 
Um, and I'm glad and I'm so, so glad that I, I, I got the soft skills that I, I was taught at Chartered because that has changed my life and that has changed the way I think. And I think it's not even limited to financial planning. And I, I think any professional, you know, if you learn these sort of, of skills, then you approach your work, you approach your life a bit more better because you're more aware of things. You're more aware of yourself. So for me, it's uh, being loud and proud of, of, of about my industry, um, changing lives, probably writing financial plans in Mr. Zulu. You know, <laughs> watch the space. You know, there's a lot, a lot of exciting um, things on the horizon. And I think um, I would love really to to take the industry with me, you know, um, as we try to journey this language thing, um, getting more young people in this space, because it's an amazing space to be in. You know, um, we certainly do need young, old, black, white, male, female to compliments and 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 look like our client bases gratitude i want to say thank you for your leadership and for a beautiful conversation today all the best with this next chapter i think the future is going to be so exciting and i i really hope um that we can build it together because i'm on the same page this the show is all about the positive evolution of advice and i think you embody that Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lou. I'm a fan of the, the podcast, of what you do at Wealth App. And because we care about the same things, definitely we'll meet in very similar spaces, you know, and I'm sure we might collaborate on a lot of things and shining lights and being ambassadors. So definitely looking forward to see um, what's, what's uh, happening with the Wealth App uh, space. Thank you, Grats.